Every week, we go to the scriptures because we believe that it's there that the person and work of Jesus are most clearly revealed. And so our sermon text this week comes from Titus 2 and Titus 3. Hear the word of the Lord from Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning to you uh, gathering at home online. Change is hard. Dealing with our own pain is hard. Finding love and acceptance in a broken world is hard. A transformed life, an ever-growing, progressively changing life is hard. Because it is, we thought as we were approaching Advent, it might be helpful to look at these two passages from Titus 2 and Titus 3. These two passages are two uh, summaries of the Christian message. Uh, we think that in the early church they were used to, to, to train new believers, new, new Christians to, to, to sort of catechize them or teach them on the core essentials of the faith and what happened to them when they became uh, a Christian. And in the middle of the passage is this little phrase, saved through regeneration. Saved through regeneration. What what does that word mean, regeneration? It's not a word that we commonly use. It's not part of our normal, everyday uh, language. What, what does it mean when it says saved through regeneration? Um, it is a word that is packed with meaning. And we need to understand it. If, if we want to know what happened to us when we became Christians, if we want to know who we are as a church, if we want to know where the power to fight sin comes from, if we want to know where the ability to change comes from, and not just the seven steps to a whatever life kind of change, but actual, real, transformative change. We need to understand what it means when it says safe through regeneration. And so we're going to look at it, uh, and we're going to answer these three questions. What is it? Where does it come from? And what does it do? So what is it? Where does it come from? And what does it do? Now, in verse 5, three, chapter 3, verse 5, um, if you've ever uh, tried to translate from one language to another, so if you know another language, Spanish or French or, 
or, or another language, you, you know that when you translate, you have to kind of reorder things in order for it to make sense from one language to another. Uh, and in the original text, it, it literally says, most literally, that he saved us by the washing of regeneration. This word regeneration, it's a Greek word, palingenesia. Palingenesia. It, this word was a technical term in uh, Greek philosophy of the day. It, 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 um, that the philosophers of this day, they, they, they believed that history was cyclical, just cyclical and ongoing, that it didn't have an end point. It wasn't moving toward a particular destination. And what they believed was that every so often, uh, the universe, the world, history, it, it would all get so bad that it all got burned down to the, just sort of the basic core elements, and then it would be reborn or remade or regenerated. And when that happened, they called it the palingenesia. This is what they thought of as the palingenesia, the remaking of the world. And this, this word, palingenesia, it's only used one other time in the Bible. It's used by Jesus in Matthew 19, where he says, Truly I say to you, in the new world, in the palingenesia, in the, what some translations will say, in the renewal of all things, in that new world that is to come when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, this new world, the palingenesia, Jesus is stepping in, and he's taking a word that would have been a sort of common understanding of what it was, and he's redefining it, and he's saying, no, listen, history is not cyclical. It's not just sort of spiraling into nothingness to do that over and over and over again. History is moving. It has a target, a, a, a trajectory. It has something that it's moving toward. It's this new world when all things would be made new. It's what Revelation 21 talks about when it says that when he is seated on the throne and said, behold, I am making all things new. This new world coming, Jesus is saying that there is a future palingenesia that's going to happen, a true palingenesia, a true renewal of all things, a future cleansing, purging, renewal that is on its way, a future regeneration of the world, cosmic regeneration. That the way one, uh, the, the way one commentator, theologian, uh, Goldsworthy, just so, so helpful, says one of the ways to understand the structure of the Bible is this, that if we can think about creation, Genesis 1 and 2, as the generation, the generating of the world, that the Bible goes generation, degeneration, regeneration, that there's this progressive uh, movement from creation to degen or, or generation to degeneration to regeneration. And when Christ returns, the palingenesia, the regeneration of the world will be made full. And in that day, all aspects of a degenerating world will be healed. All of them. Like a fire that purges impurities, God will cleanse all on that day. And here's what makes Paul's statement so profoundly astounding. Now, when he says, you have been saved through the palingenesia. Saved by the palingenesia. That you who struggle with sin, and you do. You who believe you will never change. What Paul is saying here is that when you believe and you are in Christ. 
The future breaks into your present. The palingenesia to come has broken into your life, which means the healing power of the future from God has broken into your life and broken in today. It is in down payment form. The payoff is yet to come, but it is no less real and no less present in your life today, right now. What does that mean? It means that faith in Christ is so, so, so much more than simply getting your sins forgiven. Obviously, that is true. It is so much more than a new set of moral codes to live by. Of course, there is a way to live that honors Christ and a way to live that dishonors Christ. But it is so much more than that. It is nothing short of God's power to heal breaking into your life. Sojourn. Sojourn. Do not ever underestimate the power of God to heal what is broken in your life. Do not ever underestimate the power of God to heal what is broken in others' lives. No matter how deep the addiction is, no matter how broken the marriage is, no matter how long-lasting the depression and anxiety are, no matter how hopeless it feels or how easy the tears come or for how long you have struggled with the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Do not underestimate. Do not underestimate. Do not. Do not underestimate the power of the recreating, regenerating God to heal your life and to heal the lives of those around you. Here's what regeneration is. It's the power of the future, breaking into your presence, the power of God to heal and restore and make all things new. Second question, where does it come from? How does this healing power from the future come into your present today? Uh, Look at verse five and six, chapter three. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So here's a question that I have for Paul. Uh, In in trying to understand this passage, uh, Paul, the author of of this letter, why include the not by statements? I mean, the sentence itself um, would have worked just fine without saying not because of works done by us in righteousness. He could have said, he saved us according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration. Why include the not by statement in the sentence right here? And here's what I think the answer is. That after this church got started, it was a young church, easily influenced. Some teachers showed up. And, and what they were saying, what they were teaching was, uh, was this, that salvation comes from Jesus plus following the Old Testament law. So you had to believe. That was obviously and certainly a prerequisite for it. But you also had to be circumcised. You also had to follow the law. And so they, they weren't saying that mercy and grace aren't part of it. They, they were just saying it's not all of it. It's mercy and grace plus you doing X, Y, and Z. And so why would he have this in here? Why would he feel the need to come back in and restate this in the heart of this? Because here's what he knows. That that salvation being a Jesus plus 
anything is enticing to the human heart. It makes sense to us, innate, instinctive sense to us. Because earning grace and earning love, this is the default posture and position of all of us. It is, it is part of life in a degenerating world. In a degenerating world, love, grace, acceptance are always earned, always performed for. And so it's innate to just so that that must be true. And Paul jumping in, countering, going, no, it's, it's not. Because to think it can't all be by grace, Paul is going to say, but it is. Back in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says, our great God and Savior, the end of the verse, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, who gave himself for us. There was a perfectly good word to say, um, I gave as I, I handed you something, right? So like to, to say, I, you know, I, I joked outside, I gave you, a, to say I gave you a cold, but that's probably not like the most appropriate COVID analogy, um, but I, I gave you money or I gave you a ball or I gave you a fill in the blank. But the word that Paul uses here became a technical term for him. It, it meant I was your substitute. On the cross, I was your substitute. I gave my life as your substitute in your place. What it's saying is that he saved you. He didn't make your salvation possible and then leave it up to you to fill in what he didn't do. He gave himself in your place on the cross. He was your substitute. Your sin on him, his righteousness given to you, all of it. Listen, he, he, he died for each and every one of them. Not, not simply the respectable ones, but the ones who are not so much so. All of it. All of it. So how does this healing power from the future break into your present through grace from the past when Jesus stood in your place on the cross. It was all by grace, start to finish, all by grace. And now listen, this doesn't mean that how you live doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that, that, that how you live doesn't matter. It means that your works that are done are done in response to and flowing from the grace that you already have, not in order to earn grace. They don't lead into grace, they flow from grace. Radical different orientation to how you see life, faith, hope, Christ, the world. Regeneration is the healing power from the future breaking into your present through grace purchased in the past on the cross by Christ. So what does it do? Third question, what does it do? Well, there, there are more than four things in this little passage that it does, but I wanna highlight four of them. I wanna highlight four of them. It converts, justifies, trains, and creates. First, it converts. Um, th this uh, chapter three is a really common structure for the Apostle Paul. Um, it's a formerly now structure. It's pretty common for his writing. Um, for we, for we, a collective we, including himself, and that once were foolish, but he saved us. Paul, Paul saying this, this is who we were, but this is what happened to us. It's a formerly but now structure. And this is no small point. 
But if we look at the list in verse three and how he describes the people, it's instructive. Listen to how he describes them. Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating others, hating one another. So these were not the moral, neat, southern hospitality, pretend smile on their face kind of people. The people that he's writing to here, um, Crete, they, they were known in the ancient world for their morality. In fact, they, they became a proverb in the ancient world for the immorality of their culture. And you had to be pretty immoral to be called immoral in the ancient world that they were in. Point is this, that the saving, regenerating power of God, it is not for those who look like they are ready for it. It is not for those who get their life in order so they might be able to take that final step. It is for anyone and everyone, no matter how far off they look. It is for your mom, it is for your dad, for your brother, for your sister, for your coworker, for your friend, for your neighbor. There is no one beyond the reach of God's love and his grace. And sometimes, in particular, not all of us have this story, but some of us look back at our childhood and we go, man, I, I, I feel so wrecked from the generational sin that got passed down to me. We'll talk about that in a second. And, and you, you almost don't want to hope for those people who hurt you. but let's not ever give up on the power of God to heal others and to save others. It converts, it also justifies. Verse seven, so that being justified by his grace. What does, it, what does this word justified mean? Well, in this passage, one way to understand it is that it is God's verdict from the future brought into your presence. God's verdict of you from the future declared over you in your presence. That at the moment when you believe, the moment when you believe, the verdict from the future becomes yours in your present. And so what it's not, it's not if I live a really good life, if I do enough good, if I go to church enough, if I give enough money away, then maybe in the end God will approve of me. When you believe and you are in Christ, you have God's approval and you have it today and it isn't full. And so, yes, yes, you still struggle with sin. Yes, you still struggle with any number of issues. And you are justified in Christ in your deepest and darkest struggle, in those struggles where if it were projected on the wall behind me, you would run out of here. In the midst of that struggle, you are justified in Christ. So run from that sin. Justified in Christ. That's why Martin Luther said we are simultaneously saint and sinner, sinner and justified at the same time. And the truth is that it is hard to see ourselves that way. It is hard to see ourselves that way. That we have at one time the source of a degenerating world in us and the regenerating power of God in us together. And it is a constant fight to see Jesus' love and acceptance for us more clearly than we see our sin. Which is why 
Um, if, I, if I could say this with um, gentleness and care, it is why prioritizing Sundays and gathering is so important. Because it is in this gathering that in a particular and unique way, the love and the grace of Jesus are most clearly seen. And so if I could, to everyone who is gathering online, I am thankful for the technology to be able to do so. But we do want to encourage all of you to consider gathering in person. Prayerfully consider gathering in person. Our staff, they have gone to great lengths to ensure a safe and worshipful gathering. And I want you to prayerfully consider gathering in person again. To be clear, we know that not everyone is able to, and we are committed to continuing uh, the live stream gathering as well. But for those who are able, we want you to prayerfully consider gathering in person. It's also why parishes are so important, and physical presence in your parish matters so much. Where you can be known, loved, and love others, that for, for some of us, we need to consider showing back up to those smaller groups of men, women, and children. Because when we talk about Sundays and parishes, we think two wings on a plane. One falls off and the plane goes down. You, you, you need Sunday and you need community. You need people to walk with and then you need the gathering. It's what Christians have needed for thousands of years and we're no different. Two wings on a plane, one falls off. All right, it converts and it justifies that, that approval so clearly seen in the gathering and with others. And then it trains. Look back at verse two, or chapter two. Verse 11 and 12, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The future breaking into your present, it trains us to say yes and to say no. To say no to that which is part of the degenerating world and to say yes to that which is part of the regenerated world to come. When the Spirit brings the future into your presence, it trains you for how to live. How to live not in line with what's passing away, but with, in line with what's breaking in. Holiness isn't simply moral conformity, it's training to live as a regenerated people in light of the regeneration to come, in line with the world that is to come. And then finally, it creates a community. It creates, verse 14, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. That word is often translated nation, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Not, not just a set of individuals, but a people, a community. The people who are going to show the world what the world to come is like. The people who live their life together in such a way that money, sex, power get redefined. And where the wounds from the misuse of money, sex, and power which so often are generational, get healed over a long period of time 
slowly, but healing can be found. That's why pressing into one another is so incredibly important. Being known by one another is so incredibly important because he creates a people where the wounds of a degenerating and degenerated world can be regenerated and healed. And it's hard. Healing is hard. Dealing with our pain is hard. And it takes time. But sojourn, our brothers and our sisters, do not underestimate the power of what has broken into your life. Regeneration is nothing short of the power of God to heal, having kicked the door of your life open. Do not underestimate the power of God to heal you or others. It's the power of the future breaking into your present because of grace from the past. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the men, the women, and the children that make up Sojourn Heights. Thank you for bringing your healing power into our lives. Would you help us to believe that you can heal and you can restore even that which is most broken in us and those around us. Help us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.